Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. When you get to the parking lot, that's when you're like, oh, and I should have said, you know. But glorify God with your body was meant to be such an encouragement because I realize there are some of you that are sick and you feel, you feel weak, you feel worn down. The verse is not glorify God if you get James's body, you know. Glorify God if you get that guy's body. Glorify God if you had her body. She's young and vibrant. Glorify God with your body. You guys know Johnny Erickson Tata? Here's a quadriplegic going around. What is she doing with her body? She's glorifying God. Glorify God with your body. Uh, and, and, and all this stuff. Glorify God with the money that he has put in your hand. Glorify God with it. With the time that you have glorify God. That is the whole point of this series. And this morning is no different. We're looking at our brains, our mind, how to glorify God with our minds. Now your, your brain is remarkable. Turn to the person you came with today and say the following, despite what you thought about me, my brain is remarkable. I'm just kidding, right? Maybe, you know, if there's, any, if there's been any hating on the way to church, especially teenagers, look at your parents and go, I know you keep telling me my medulla is not fully formed and I shouldn't make these major life decisions until my brain is formed. Which, by the way, don't make dumb decisions like till your brain is formed. Yeah, but mom, dad, my brain is remarkable. It is. Your brain is remarkable. Did some research on your brain this week. I mean, not just your brain, but on the brain this week. You know how many brain cells you have right now? Your brain has anywhere from 12 to 14 billion brain cells. And I will leave it to you and those who love you to determine who's more on the 12 and who's more on the 14 billion, but between 12 and 14 billion. Now here's what's cool. Each of those cells sends out thousands of connecting tendrils so that each cell is connected to 10 thousand neighboring cells, each of with each of which it is constantly sending these data impulses. That's how your brain works. You got 12 to 14 billion brain cells, but that's not what makes the brain so remarkable. It's that they're connected each cell to 10,000 others and they're sending data back and forth. Let me put that in perspective. That's like a thousand, having 12 to 14 billion brain cells, each with 10,000 Connectors makes it an unparalleled supercomputer. Imagine a thousand switchboards all firing at once. A switchboard is the thing that makes your phone call connect with somebody else's phone call on the other side of the world. At some point, a switch has to happen wherein those two things are connected. Imagine, just imagine one of those switchboards, one of those switchboards big enough to serve all of New York City. One switchboard big enough for eight million residents. You've got a thousand of those firing all at once, right now. And I know on a rainy morning like today, it's so easy to go, no, I don't. I don't have one cell that's firing right now. <laughs> you know? But you do. Right now, even when you feel like there's nothing going on up there, there's more electronic equivalent in one human brain than all the radio and TV stations in the world right now put together. Yeah. Think about what this, this, this brain can do. Uh, uh, ponder this with me. Think about the power of the human brain. 
We can, uh, as human, I mean, we've put a man on the moon. We imagine uh, the polyphonic texture of a Bach fugue. You can taste the, the subtle notes of coffee or wine. I mean, these, 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 these things in our life that, 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 you know, we can create philosophies. We can have um, uh, these amazing conversations, one another, the ability to connect all at once and synthesize all this data. And if all that's not impressive enough, here's something I read. Every time you blink, your brain keeps the mental lights on in other words every time you blink your body doesn't immediately think it's night outside your brain keeps your body's lights on so you don't think it's night and dark time for sleep oh wake up time because you blink like twenty-one thousand times a day or whatever it is every time you blink your brain keeps the lights on the rest of the sermon you're gonna be like oh oh, oh yeah right I know, I know 12 to 14,000 brain cells and all that stuff, but that to me is the coolest. Like somehow your brain's like, okay, relax. I know it's blinking, but lights are going to, yeah, we're there. Every time your brain keeps all that. Uh, uh, perhaps I'm the only one who found that uh, delightful, but my point is your brain is absolutely remarkable. We put a man on the moon. We've invented computers and pie. We have done all these great things. What a great, I mean, think about the brain that we could make the Egg McMuffin. Like, think about, that's a wonderful and delightful thing the brain can do. And yet, how do we use our brains? With all of the computing power in your three pounds of gray matter up there, how do we use these remarkable brains? Is it not? There are 12 to 14 billion brain cells being wasted in that moment. Now, look, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but don't you want to know what was he thinking? Like there was a moment where he's like, you know, what would be awesome? I'm going to take this exercise. And his buddy's like, do it. And he's got another friend who's like, I'll film it. And in that moment, all 12 to 14 billion brain cells being wasted as he goes full scorpion, right? You know, when the legs... My point is simply this. Our brains are remarkable. And yet there is something, right? We've all been there where you go, what was he thinking? And it's not like you can always predict the specific thoughts that happen. And that's sort of the point of today's sermon. It's not just, I want you to be prepared to think certain thoughts as certain thoughts come at you. But it's almost like thoughts are like seeds, okay? Thoughts are like seeds, and the seeds are being thrown liberally. And you never really know when a seed is just going to pop into your, into your mind. And we all know this. We all know this, right? Listen, plant that thought, and it, what, it does what? You reap an action. I could even go further. Plant a thought, reap an action. Plant that action enough, reap a habit. Plant that habit, reap a character. Plant a character, reap a destiny. I mean, ultimately, your thoughts are going to lead not just to an action, but to a destiny. When you plant this stuff, it grows. But that's my point. You're, you can't always you can't always figure out what seed. Like that guy didn't wake up that morning and be like, "Hey, uh, but I, what I'd really like to do is break my back on a treadmill today." Yeah, that's my goal for the day. That's my that's my to do list, right? No, he went into the weight room, and treadmilling is boring. It is mind numbingly, soul crushingly boring, right? And yeah, and, 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 and we think, you know, uh, 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 what, would, what, what could spice this up would be if I jumped on an exercise ball and saw what happened, right? It's not that he planned that that seed was going to happen. It's that he had the kind of mental soil in which 
that seed could be planted. And I'm not making fun of him. We all have a certain kind of mental soil. The goal of this sermon is not plant better thoughts. The goal is what happens pre-planting. We're talking about pre-plant today. Now, I had to look up pre-plant in the dictionary. It's a real word. Pre-plant goes back to my roots in Kentucky. See what I did there with the word roots? It goes back to agricultural terminology. Pre-planting is what happens. It's a very simple concept. What happens before planting, before you plant the seeds? We're talking about herbicides. We're talking about pesticides. We're talking about fertilizer, things that's going to make the soil good, you know, or, or if you're org- organic, you know, sort of walking over it with good vibes. I don't know what organic farmers do, but you get the point, you know, you, you're, 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 you're preparing the soil. You're pre-planting so that when those seeds of thought come, there's a certain mental soil that will know exactly what to do with each seed. And the seed that says, let me jump on this exercise ball should have been discarded, right? but to have the mental soil to make that happen. Now, when you jump on an exercise ball and your friends film it, the good news is it's fairly harmless. That guy survived. He's fine. When you make choices in your life, have you looked back on something in your life? Maybe it wasn't this, but isn't there been a time in your life when you look back and the question you asked was not, what was I doing? Because you've got photographic evidence of that, which you're trying to burn, right? But you've got photograph. You, you know what you were doing. The question is, there it is. What was I thinking? And what I'm trying to get you to do is ask even the question before that. What is the mental soil of my life that received that thought and and, and did that with it, right? I'm talking about, um, for some of you, it's something very, very harmless. It's something that's not sinful in the least bit. Let's just celebrate something we did that was maybe dumb or, or we look back and silly, but it's not sinful. I'm talking now about hairstyles. Nobody in here has a yearbook photo that they, are, that they hope never sees the light of day, you know? You look back, you're rocking the big mullet, you know, right? Nobody, just me, right? Those are harmless, right? You, you get, in a, 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 get into trouble as a youth or something, but it was based on something that was harmless. But what about times when it's not harmless? What about times when your heart, <clears throat> it's like it's been broken in half because of a relationship? And you look back on that years later, and the question you're asking is not what happened, because you know what happened. Some of you are still bearing the scars of what happened, but a choice you made where you would say, it's not what, what was I thinking, right? For others of you, you're looking at people who have hurt you and wounded you, and you're not so much asking, what were they doing? You know quite well what they did. The question that, because you, maybe you love them or you care for them, but they're, they're breaking your heart or they've broken your heart, and you look at them and you ask, what were they thinking, Isn't that something? It goes back to what's up here. You talk about ducks in a row. This may be, I know I've said this about all the ducks, but this may be the most uh, uh, important duck. What goes on up here? What was I thinking? What were they thinking? You know, don't you ever wonder that about American history? Forget world history, but just in this country. It was not a hundred years ago where people were separated in terms of which water fountain they could drink from based on the color of their skin. Now, we know that, and historically, we cringe at that, and yet something goes on where we say, what was a culture thinking? It's not just individual mental soil, but there's sort of a collective mental soil. Did you know we had to amend our Constitution? We had to amend it, and it's, we, we got to 18 amendments before the 19th Amendment, which said, you know, I think that women should have the right to vote, too, right? Just strictly based on their gender, they don't get a voice in democracy, That was not 100 years ago. That was 1921. And you look back on that and you go, 
what were we thinking that we would think, oh, well, based on their gender, they don't have a right to vote. Based on their skin color, they don't, right? Culturally, you, you begin to ask these questions. Our thoughts drive our actions. But our, our thoughts, you know, you plant these thoughts and they grow into an action. They grow into a character. Now, look, the Bible helps us in theoretical ways. The Bible helps us in practical ways and in all these ways in between. But wouldn't it be cool if five years from now, you didn't have to look back five years ago to this day. Let's fast forward five years from now. It's August 30th. 2019. How are you different, right? If you've made regrets, they will go back to what was I thinking? But here's the point I'm trying to make. Your five-year forward self looking backward five years ago is looking to this day. And it's not so much looking at your actions, it's looking at your minds. What What are you thinking on right now? What are you thinking on? You show me your mind, I'll show you your future. Do you understand the importance of what your mind is doing right now? Do you understand the importance of what you're dwelling on, what you're thinking on? You're either going to have a life that says, what was I thinking? I don't know, but I am so glad I was. Or you're going to look back and say, what was I thinking? And it's going to be a moment of great regret. That all depends on March 30th, 2014. Today, this day. What are you thinking? You can never go back and change what what you were doing. But today, right now, you can change what you're thinking. That has everything to do with where you're going to end up. Now, Paul summarizes all this in a great way. And sometimes the Bible will do this, and you sort of have to, have to figure out what he's saying. And, and sometimes, in Philippians <clears throat> chapter 4, I want you to turn there to Philippians chapter 4. James is actually going to preach a little series on Philippians coming up. But this one was the one I wanted to uh, latch on to in terms of thinking. In Philippians 4, 9, Paul has this great verse. And sometimes Paul says these things, and it's... <laughs> well, let me just read it. Whatever you've learned, are you there? Philippians 4, 9. Sorry, I didn't want to go too fast. I'll put it up here on the screen for you. <clears throat> Whatever you've learned or received from me, uh, receive, let me back up. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And I love this <clears throat> because if you just read this verse out of context, doesn't he make it sound all too easy? This is the apostle Paul, okay? He, what, what have you learned from me? Oh, I don't know, like the gospel. And I'm going to be in heaven for all eternity because of the good news you shared with me. Okay, what did you receive from me? Oh, I don't know, eternal life. Uh, how about half the New Testament that you wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? What have you heard from me? Uh, the good words of the gospel. What have you seen in me? Unbelievable obedience. The kind of obedience that a man from jail writes, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Appreciate you guys. Love and life. For me... To, If you kill me, it's a promotion, right? To die is gain. I mean, right? This is the guy who says that. Yeah, so take all that, the holistic, a guy who knew who he was, a guy who was not more spiritual than Jesus, a guy you would love to hang out with. You would want to be more and more with Paul. We think of holy people as being, oh, they're so holy. But nobody goes, I really want to hang out with him. You know that, right? The holier they are, the usually we think, whoa. Not really a lot of fun, you know. The funniest people on the planet should be the holiest. The most delightful people on the planet should be the holiest. Why? Because the holier you are, the closer you get to Jesus. And who didn't want to be around Jesus? Not the, all the stuff we've made it, you know. Uh, that's a tragic misunderstanding, right? Somebody like William Blake. I can't remember if it was Blake, but let's say it's William Blake. Uh, said, I want to go to... Uh, uh, Heaven for the climate and hell for the company. His point was exactly what I was making. But he's dead wrong. He's dead wrong. 
And as C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, tried to unpack, hell is not this fellowship of all the happy people while the holy people go float off to a cloud. It's heaven you desire. That's where people come together, together, together to the holy city. Hell, further and further apart from one another, right? Uh, and I got tangent finished. Back to this. Paul's a guy you would want to hang out with. And he says all this stuff. And he's like, so take my life that I'm living, that anything you've seen in me, and just, you know, do it. And the God of peace be with you. <clears throat> Ted Williams was, you know who Ted Williams is? This uh, 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 greatest baseball hitter of all time. He was once interviewed. He's like, what, you know, what's your secret to great hitting and all that stuff? He's like, well, it's really simple. Um, <clears throat> what, I, what I have found, and I don't, I don't understand why more hitters don't do this. What I've found is when the ball is coming at me from the pitcher's mouth, I'll examine the way the stitching on the ball is rotating. And if it's rotating this way, I'll know it's a fastball. If it's this way, I know it's a curve. And so just looking at the seam of the ball as it's coming at me, I analyze the stitching on the ball. And that's, that's been a big help in my hitting. To whichever, all the reporters went... You do realize no one on earth can do that but you, right? Like he said it like it was the simplest thing in the world. Well, I don't see what the big problem is. Just look at a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and check out the stitching. What? Like who does that? But he says it like, what? What? You know? You know? It was just natural for him. Paul, that's kind of what Paul's doing. He's like, be an awesome Christian. Yeah. And here's the difference. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. He tells you how. And for a Christian empowered by the Spirit of God, you don't have to sit here in the sermon and go, well, that's Ted Williams, you know, that's, that's the Apostle Paul. He's going to sh- tell you how, he's going to show you how, and he's going to say in Philippians, this mind of Christ is in you. Like by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is not something where you walk out of here and go, well, that's for super Paul. This is for you. How do you get so, how does obedience and the Christian life become so just natural? He shows you how. And how he got to that verse is where we're going to go. Back up three verses. He starts in verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That is a verse worth putting on your bathroom mirror in the morning. That's all I have time to say about that verse. That's ten other sermons. I am now showing great restraint in not commenting on Philippians 4, 6, and just moving on. But you... No, I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. And here it is, and the peace of God. You know, uh, when he wrote to the Philippians, Mark Antony uh, won that uh, famous battle at the Battle of Actium in 31 BC, and he instituted something called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And let me tell you something, he guarded the peace of Rome. I mean, the peace of Rome was enforced with an iron hand. It was guarded. At the tip of a centurion's spear, the Pax Romana was guarded. Watch what he says. Flips it on its head. This is so subversive, so good. It's the exact kind of thing a prisoner would write. And the peace of God turns out different from the peace of Rome. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Soldiers had to guard the Pax Romana, but the peace of God guards the Christian soldier. Transcends all understanding, and it guards your heart, and it guards your minds in Christ Jesus. And here's how. And this is, this is how he sums it up. You, you want that peace of God? Do you want that, that, that life, that encouragement? It all comes down to what you're pre-planting. And he says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, here it is. Here's the soil of the thought life. 
Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let this be the mental soil uh, of your life. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is uh, lovely or admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is the, 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 the herbicides and pesticides and fertilizers that will encourage some growth of certain good seeds and will squash and kill those weeds and those pests. So let's look at them briefly and then we'll tie it all together. Whatever is true, uh, this is simply the opposite of whatever is false, right? I mean, this is as opposed to believing lies, Jesus says in John chapter 8 that when Satan speaks lies, whenever, whenever Satan lies, he says in John 8, whenever Satan lies, he speaks his native language. Isn't that good? His native language is lies. That's all he knows to speak, right? He's the father of lies. Now, here's the problem. It's one thing when Satan is the father of lies. But some of you have a committee inside your head that is holding daily board meetings. And they are filled with lies. And the only thing that is going to stand up and tell that committee that meets inside your head, that negative committee inside your head needs to shut up. And the only one that's going to tell it that is truth. So all we got to know then is where do we find truth? And I just can't, I can't, I can't find it. I can't find it in its purest and truest form anywhere but Jesus Christ. And this book that points me to Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean both those things. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then in John 17, he says, sanctify your disciples by your word. Thy word is truth. You can't get it anywhere else. If we're not filling up on the word of God, if we're not filling up on the scriptures, we'll believe every kind of lie. Uh, How many lies could we pick as examples innumerable lies. We could pick a lie. I read a statistic. I have no idea if this is true or not. I offer it to you by way of illustration. To me, it seems a little overblown. I can't believe it's true. Maybe because I have two little girls, I sort of hope that it's not true. And it's just wishful thinking. The statistic, anyway, 50% of commercials on Saturday morning are pointed at young girls, which in some way, the message of the commercial is to get them to measure worth based on physical beauty. So there's a lie, right? You have worth based on your physical appearance. Uh, Another great lie. I believe that my actions do not have consequences, Hmm? right? I mean, nobody wakes up one morning and thinks, hey, you know what I really want to do today? I want to ruin my marriage. I want to, what I really want to do is undermine my whole business with a decision that's not full of integrity, Right? Uh, I can't wait to destroy everything good God has worked to build in my life. Can't wait just to pull the... No, 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 we don't do that. What we do is, let me sin, and this won't ultimately be the consequence. Right? This doesn't have any consequence. It's a lie, right? Uh, uh, Ultimately, perhaps all our lies are, God, you can't be trusted, right? It goes back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? He didn't say. You don't have to believe his word, right? And then what does Satan say? "You, You won't die, God's holding something back from you, right? Years ago, I, I, I came to City on a Hill years ago, and I have not forgotten, ye- this has been years. Uh, one of the first times I was at City on a Hill, I heard Pastor Linda say, God is not trying to take something from you. He is trying to get something to you. I have stolen that line, full disclosure. I have, well, 
I've liberated it for use in the broader church <laughs> environment countless times, right? But it's true. God, has not, God is not trying to take something from you. He's trying to get something to you. And that lie goes all the way back to the garden. You can't trust him. To undo these things, obviously, to dwell on whatever is true, to hold in your mind Scripture, to memorize Scripture, most of all, to ponder Jesus Christ. And not for nothing, all truth is God's truth. Look, if you leave here and you are a scientist, we so desperately need your work. Will you go and will you continue to advance science because all truth is God's truth? Point your telescope to the sky or your microscope to the atom and you find truth. Please work hard to find truth. If you are an accountant, your work matters. You want your books to be what? True. Go and do. If you are a mechanic, make your work faithful and true so that you can give a fair price for somebody to get in their car and go to work and feed their family. Your work can be a form of worship, is a form of worship. Whatever's noble. When's the last time you used this word? Kings, queens, nobility, knights. Yeah, uh, me neither. Uh, but um, uh, nobles only used four times in the New Testament. It's used here and it's used three other times. And the other three times it's used to determine, it's used to describe people. Do you want to know how to pre-plant the soil of your life with nobility? Read a Christian biography. Read, read a noble biography. Go read Bonhoeffer. Read about uh, uh, old, uh, Oswald Chambers. The book, I, I, I read Abandoned to God in college. And it's, it, I think it nudged the trajectory of my whole life in ministry. Uh, you, you know, uh, any of them, uh, Elizabeth Elliot or uh, 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 Pastor Linda and, and uh, 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 Joe and James. They're such good readers. They would be delighted. I think it would be, the only thing is if you text James, hey, what's a good book to read? You, you might get a hundred, but, you know, just tell him to get, like, narrow it down for me, you know, give him the, but they, they would love to put in your hands good Christian biography. If only there was a bookstore where we could get low-priced books and find nearby. <laughs> but you get the point. Uh, uh, the idea of a noble life. What can put that preplant in me is I'm surrounded by noble thoughts. And so much of what I read, it's just not noble, right? I mean, so much of the internet. The problem is it's lack of total nobility. Uh, whatever, is, whatever is right. This one's tough. I, to, to dwell on that which is right is so hard because right carries the notion of justice. And when you stew on things that are, you know, when you've been wronged... I, in, in a way, I'm explaining each of these by showing the opposite. But, but you could so easily spend your whole day dwelling on how you've been wronged, you know? Uh, sometimes we do it in a, in a form of kind of jealousy. Jealousy is when we resent the goodness of God as he's pouring out goodness on somebody else, right? We resent it in somebody else because we don't have it in ourselves. And here's, you could dwell on that or you could dwell on what is, what is right. You know, that's one of the reasons gossip is a sin. We talk about gossip as a sin. It seems so harmless and it certainly seems available. Wow. My mom and I were just talking about this. She was up to visit and she, for gossip in her day, it was so hard to get. Right? I mean, it, everybody wanted it. It was so juicy. But you had to go to this particular beauty salon. And there was the, you know, I had to sort of deal with these old, you know, everybody would sit around and kvetch, you know. And, right? She wanted, right, this sort of tendency. Now, all you have to do is, like, click on Yahoo or, or something, right? And there it is, all the celebrity gossip you want. And then you can just text one another. And it's almost like there's this whole group of media that has become social. We'll call it social media write this down i'm groundbreaking yeah 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 and what do you share if not a lot of it is in fact just gossip 
The problem is this. It's not right. Here's why. With gossip, you only get one side of the story. And sometimes you don't even get that. You get like no side of the story, right? But God sees all these things. And to not dwell on gossip, to dwell on what is right. What about pure? Whatever is pure. Purity is of great value. We know that. Uh, Pure drinking water. We want organic food. We love the purity of it. Uh, Diamonds cost more as they go up in this quality called flawlessness. Um, And there's so much impurity being planted in our eyes. I, I do not, probably do not need to belabor this point. Whatever is pure, dwell on that. Get rid of anything that is impure. That's, that's, that's probably obvious enough, and I'll leave it at that. But uh, there is a verse in Titus, and uh, it's Titus chapter 1, where it says an interesting thing. It says, to the pure, all things are pure. You know what he means by that? It is possible to have the Christian mind so formed that whatever seeds come at, it's almost like it's not... Purity is not just a function of never looking at this or never looking at that or or staying away from this movie and never talking to these people, but rather the ability as it comes in to almost filter. Your soil is so well pre-planted that to the pure, all things are pure. Some of its purity is in what it rejects. Some of its purity is in how it transforms it uh, and redeems it under service. Uh, First Corinthians talks about how taking every thought captive to obedience to Christ. And he talks about the pure or all things are pure, but to the corrupt, all these things are corrupt. Why? Because of the quality of their minds. That's in Titus. Whatever is lovely. So far, let's review. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Lovely. When's the last time you used the word lovely? This is where it's great to be British. I'm not British, but I met a British person recently and everything, everything was lovely. And it was great. How's your soup, man? lovely right i thought i wish we could start saying that with a straight face you know because my wife would crack up look at our minivan it's lovely like anyway everything was lovely uh and this can be a tough word to get a hold of but i'll tell you the opposite i know the opposite the opposite of lovely is to dwell on things the opposite of dwelling on that which is lovely and it there's a kind of blamelessness, okay? There's a kind of innocence. There's a kind of lack of cynicism in a person who dwells on what is lovely, right? For example, you know, today, think of five ways your kids are lovely and not five ways they really messed up. And why, why that's hard sometimes to do. Think of five ways your parents are lovely and not five ways they did you wrong. Five ways your spouse is lovely. Five ways your professor is lovely and not five ways they're trying to to really wrong you or five ways your boss is lovely right there's just, there has to be a certain blamelessness in that because otherwise it's cynicism now, now here's the thing in new york city where i live within the five boroughs and also on long island i have found experientially someone long ago decided we needed a na- we needed a vernacular a common language a lingua franca Because everybody is from somewhere else, right? I mean, there's all these people coming and they all speak these different languages. We decided to have any sense of getting along in a society. We needed a common language. And you think it's English, but it's not. It's not. The lingua franca, the language we speak is complaining. I'll show you. It's how we say hello in my building. I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. It is literally the language we speak. You get on the elevator in the morning. Oh, stop at six. Somebody gets on. Hey, you believe this weather? Ah, unbelievable, right? Yeah, there's going to be more too. I know. Oh, oh, oh. We're all going to die, right? Now, what just happened? We just said good morning. 
That is literally how we said hello. It's how we make small talk. You stand in line for a bagel. I believe this place is so slow. I know, I know. It's like they're glaciers, right? 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 What just happened there? We just said hello. How you doing? Right? That's the fact that some of you aren't laughing because you're like, you, 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 it's not even translating. You're like, absolutely, right. That's how I said hello, right? It is so commonplace, right? Here's the problem. Here's the problem. When you make a cynical comment, I love to laugh. I can't stand sarcasm. Because when you make a cynical comment, your brain doesn't know the difference, right? <laughs> Lovely day outside. I don't think deep down your brain really knows that like, oh, it's, it, oh, oh, you didn't mean it, Right? It's like, think on things that are true. Really, I mean this, right? How many times when my, people ask me about my kids, why is the first thing out of my mouth, it's chaos, it's crazy. Yeah, well, he's a wild man. Yeah, he's going to kill somebody, right? Like, what am I doing? Why am I speaking that over my kid, right? Really? Really? What? Now, look, 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 look. If your kids are crazy and your friend calls, how you doing? And you say they're crazy. I'm not against that, right? You're describing the environment around you. You understand? Really? I'm not. What I am against is what, what's going on in my mental soil where I'm dwelling. I, come on, right? I could think of 10 million cool things to say about my kid. But what it shows me is what's coming out of here. There's some sort of mental soil where I've allowed my default mode to look no different than the world's. And that's why when my actions end up in ways that aren't lovely, what else could I expect? What what if I even look at my mental soil? Whatever is admirable. That just means worthy of being admired. If anything is excellent, I couldn't think of anything else to say about it. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what is excellent? What is worthy of praise? Dwell on those things. And if you don't, the word dwell on is the same word we get the word logarithm. The idea of just really pondering on whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right and pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, whatever's excellent or praiseworthy. Think on these things. You gotta pre-plant. Because I know if you think, well, I never want to have a negative thought, then clearly what I need to do is go live in a cave somewhere as a hermit because there's so many impulses that are coming at me. Here's the thing. Even if you did, you couldn't escape your thoughts. Like you would find the one cave that has like a cave painting and you're like, oh, like you can't escape these uh, 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 seeds coming at you. Does that make sense? So what you need, if only there was some mnemonic device that could teach our people that the goal is to pre-plant so that we think about such things. That is what I would hope for this week, that you would take seriously the notion of pre-planting. Now, look, this may mean when you get in your car, you need to maybe change the radio station to something else. You need to, to, to change the worldly influences of uh, Radio Disney and put it on the Christian station. I picked Disney. But I could have picked any of them, but I think we all know not to listen to Ozzy Osbourne. You know, the, but the key is, uh, okay, don't listen to Ozzy Osbourne either. But whatever. The point is, let's put stuff in our life, right? Let's create that mental soil. It may mean something that is absolutely that literal. Right. It may mean I'm going to change. I'm going to be conscious this week of the way I speak about my kids, my family, my, my life, my job. Right. And I'm going to dwell on these things. It literally could be that. But what we would need would be some way to remember that the goal is to develop that mental soil. To, anybody seen the movie? Uh, raise your hand if you saw the movie Inception. Okay. 
Now leave your hand, you're like, but it's rated R. Can I, can I, it, yeah, okay, good. Now leave your hand up if you understood the movie Inception. Right, exactly, yes, you know, buddy. Yeah. But the idea in that movie was to plant ahead of time these ideas and these thoughts, and that's sort of what the Apostle Paul is saying here. It's raining seeds down culturally. For some of you, it, it used to be, well, you know, you live in a small town, there's not that much influence, but now with the internet and with the sort of interconnectivity of the world, it is, I can say, it is raining seeds. And to know what to do with that, to have the right fertilizer, to harvest this one, to plant this one, to discard that one, to make sure that this weed doesn't get planted, you would need a powerful mnemonic. You would need to pre-plant. And that means, brothers, you've got to focus on whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right and pure, whatever's lovely, excellent, admirable, praiseworthy. Think on these things. It really works. Yeah. Pre-plant. Yeah. I wanted to help you memorize it. And so if you just want to like, you can write that down, pre-plant. Or you, if you're really stealthy, you can like pick up your phone and like take a screenshot of that screen with your camera. Uh, but either way, um, I want that in your life. And I want that in my life. I want that as my mental soil, so that what comes my way, I'll know uh, what to do with. Uh, if you think, well, I, you know, how much does this matter? Let me ask you something. What if your mom and dad had heard that sermon and done it 30 years ago? How would your childhood have been different? You think it matters? You think it matters to your kids in there? If you'll take that and say, oh, that's clever. Or versus, no, that's not just clever. That needs to go in my heart. I need that. I'll pray for that. I'll desire that. I'll, I'll, I'll even make changes in what I view and in what I watch to get that. And what I read. Some things I need uh, 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 to do away with. Some I need to put in my life, right? And listen, you're on the right track. Let me be an encouragement to you. You're here, aren't you? What do you think this is? This is pre-planting. You are light years ahead of where you'd been if you'd skipped this morning. That's true for every Sunday morning. You're right. So you're on the right track. You're doing it. In a way, I get it. I'm preaching to the choir. I just don't want us to stop until we can say with Paul, my mind, to the pure, all things are pure. There are people, it's like they're so blameless. Sin, it, almost like it wouldn't even touch them. Or you, that's available to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. To dwell on things that are, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right and pure, whatever's lovely or admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, to think on such things. Uh, we're going to close in a word of prayer, and then um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. The connection should be uh, obvious. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for... We confess that in the flesh we are not strong enough or smart enough or probably wouldn't even desire the good things, wouldn't even know what to desire. But God, by your grace, you have justified us, you have adopted us, your spirit has made us reborn, and all things are new. And Father, we want to hold to every part of that newness, not just restoration in our spiritual sense, not just restoration that our sins have been dealt with on the cross, not just restoration in our money, in our time, or in our bodies. God, we want our minds renewed. And we thank you, O oh God, that you suffered and died on that cross for every part of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.